so we just hit pause on the Hebrews sermon series for one Sunday, this Sunday, and we're just going to do a standalone sermon on who we are as a church, who we are as a church, and kind of where this comes from, four competencies that Pastor Ben and I and Matt, our pastoral resident, have gone through this year. We went through this leadership journey called Leadership Pipeline, where they had us working through what does it mean for us to create competencies to raise up leaders in the local church. So this journey actually got us to the place where, where through prayer, through study, through some training, we came to a place where we said, what are the four, we think there's four competencies that we want everybody in our church, whether you are here for the first time, whether you've been here for 60 years, whether you're just beginning a relationship with Jesus or whether you've been walking with him forever, we think there's four competencies that will help all of us to grow as disciples of Jesus. Our mission is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so what are the four competencies that would help us to fulfill our mission? What are the competencies that would help us to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ? And here they are. The first one is to know your identity. The first competency, every, we want everyone in our church, everyone who calls Park Community Church home, or if you're visiting, we want you to understand what we are all about. We want you to know your identity in Jesus Christ. That God has sent his one and only son, Jesus, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, he sent Jesus on your behalf to adopt you, to bring you into his family. And so on the front of your bulletin, you'll see these arrows it says, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, neighbors and witnesses. The gospel identity that we want our church to know is that because of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, God has adopted you as a son or a daughter. You have direct access to God. That's why the arrow goes down and up. So pursuing God, that's a competency that comes out of being a son or a daughter. God has adopted us. Our gospel identity is that we are sons and daughters of God. And because of that, we have this, we have this intimate relationship with God the Father. He pursues us. We can pursue him. We have this vertical relationship with the Father. Okay? And then he's also made us brothers and sisters. He's adopted us into his family. He's made us brothers and sisters of one another. That's why we, do, why we scatter into community groups. That's why we do life together. We gather together on Sunday mornings to have this vertical relationship with him, but there's also a little bit of horizontal relationship. Brothers and sisters, we do life together. That's our identity is we're brothers and sisters. But the competency that flows out of, out of that is that we practice his commands together. So the competency out of being sons and daughters of God is that we can pursue God through his word and through prayer. So the competency is that we want all of you as a church to know how to pursue God. You have direct access to God your Father. We want you to be able to have tools to know, how do I read my Bible? How do I communicate with this God who has called me a son or a daughter? How do I pray? That's a competency. The, the next competency, practice his commands in relationship as brothers and sisters. We want to practice his commands. We want to do the one another's of Scripture. We want to forgive one another. We want to be kind with one another. We want to be patient with one another. We want to encourage one another. We want to challenge one another and hold one another accountable. And so a competency for us as a church is to learn what does it look like for us to practice his commands. And then the fourth competency is to proclaim his gospel. That comes out of the identity of being neighbors and witnesses. So the first competency is to know our identity. That is, we are sons and daughters, brothers, sisters, neighbors, and witnesses. The second competency is, as a son or a daughter, you being able to pursue God. 
Third competency is as a brother or sister, you being able to practice his commands in close community. The fourth competency is you being a neighbor and witness, your identity as a neighbor and witness of Jesus Christ to the world is that you would proclaim his gospel in word and deed. And we're just going to zero in on that one this morning. So those are the four competencies that we want Park Community Church to have. Today, I want to zero in on what it looks like for us to proclaim the gospel. What does it look like for us to live as neighbors and witnesses? And part of the reason for that is, like I said, I just need a pause on Hebrews for today so that we can stay on track. But also because the snow is finally gone. And we can actually see who our neighbors are once again. We are called to be neighbors and witnesses in our relational sphere of influence. Think about it as your RSI. You'll hear that terminology here at Park Community Church a lot. RSI, your relational sphere of influence. We believe that Jesus has sent us out into those areas to be a witness of him. And we're called to do that year-round. But practically, in our neighborhoods, it's a lot easier this time of year, is it not? I don't know about you, but I don't see my neighbors for like nine months out of the year. So how can I be a witness to them if I never see them? And so as we approach this season of life where we're out and about, where we're able to be at playgrounds, where we're able to see our neighbors in the yard, where we're just able to interact with people a little bit more easily than we're, than we're able to in the winter, we want to just pause and talk about what does it look like for us to actually proclaim his gospel? And even as I say proclaim his gospel, some of you may get nervous sweats even hearing that, like, you want me to be an evangelist. Some of us have heard this, heard this couch in that language, evangelist. You need to go out and evangelize your neighbors, evangelize your coworkers, evangelize your family. Go door to door, knocking on people's doors, telling them about Jesus Christ. Now, some of us are radical evangelists, and when I say us, I mean some of you, because that's not me. Um, some of you are radical evangelists who are not uncomfortable doing that. But many of us are like, I don't know about proclaiming the gospel. I have doubts about proclaiming the gospel. I don't want to be the, the Bible-banging Jesus freak next door who my neighbors or my coworkers or my family members think is odd and weird. And so we wrestle with this tension of what it looks like for us as disciples to go out and proclaim the gospel. We get nervous. We get weird about it. And what I want to do this morning is just pause and look at a tool called Bless. We'll get there in a little bit into this tool. A tool called Bless that has been created to help us proclaim the gospel in a non-threatening and, and really, I think, a very helpful way. So we're going to look at how we can, as Christians, bless the world that God has put us in. Not condemn the world. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Actually, let's look at John 3.16, since I've already mentioned that this morning. John 3.16, if you don't have a Bible, use a pew Bible in front of you, and it's on page 887. 888, actually. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Goes on, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So there is this condition here that in order to receive this identity as sons and daughters of God, we must believe in Jesus the Christ. But Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to call them to repentance to call them to their father, 
to call them home in a place where they could receive blessing. And so us as neighbors and witnesses who proclaim the gospel, how do we approach our proclamation of the gospel? I think we need to approach it from a standpoint of we're not going out into the world who doesn't believe the way that we believe to condemn them for those beliefs. But we're going out into the world to call them into an abundant life with Jesus Christ. We're going out into the world to bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be a blessing this morning. How do we as evangelists, how do we as neighbors and witnesses proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ as a blessing to those that we engage with? And so I want to start by looking at the history of blessing. The history of blessing. There are hundreds of passages in the scriptures about what it means for God to bless his people. God has called us to go out in his name with his power to be a blessing. And so let's look at this, the history of blessing here. And this is just a snapshot. I mean, we could spend all day looking at Old Testament passages about God's blessing his people. But let's start right here in Genesis chapter 1 and look at the history of blessing. So Genesis chapter 1, God is creating the world and all that is in it. And in chapter 1 verse 20, he's creating the birds and, the, and the, um, all the creatures that fill the earth. And look at verse 22 of Genesis chapter 1. And God blessed them. He blessed the created beings. He blessed his creation. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And then God goes on, continues to create. And then pick it up at verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we see the history of blessing, the beginning of blessing is that God is blessing his creation, all of his creation, but also the pinnacle of his creation, mankind created in his image. God blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed them. Now, the word bless, the, the Hebrew word is barak. It means to kneel or to honor or to acknowledge as worthy. So think about this. What it's saying is that God is acknowledging his creation as worthy or as good. If you look at Genesis chapter, just at the end, verse 31, chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So when God blesses creation, when God blesses Adam and Eve, when God blesses mankind created in his image, Barak, the, word, the Hebrew word for blessing, it's, it's almost like he, he kneels down to and bends down to an acknowledgement of his own creation. He says, it is, it is good. I am blessing you. I am giving you what you need to flourish. And I am saying that you are created in my image. You are good. That's the origin of blessing. And then look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. So then God blessed the day of rest. God is a God of blessing. We see his heart here early on in the scriptures that he creates all things and he blesses all things. He acknowledges them as good and he acknowledges mankind as good. 
But then what happens in Genesis 3? The serpent comes along and he, he tempts Adam and Eve and he, he draws them away from God's promises and away from God's blessing and he starts to creep lies into their hearts and into their minds and they take of the forbidden fruit and this, this blessing is broken. There's now a curse as Genesis 3 teaches us. There's a curse on the land. There's a curse on people. And so this heart that God has for his people to bless them has now been, it's now been altered. His heart hasn't changed, but the way that this blessing unfolds has been, it, it's been, um, something has gotten in the way of God and his people. God's perfect blessing, God's, God's promises have been, have been attacked. And so God in his faithfulness, he works to reestablish this relationship with his people. He, he works to reestablish a relationship where they are blessed. This happens in Genesis chapter 9. He blesses Noah and his sons. But then primarily in Genesis chapter 12, I want to look at that. He reestablishes his blessing of mankind created in his image. Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God is reestablishing this nation, this group of people that he will bless, and they will then in turn bless others. This is the nation of Israel. It's the story of the Old Testament that God called the people out for himself, and he, he blessed them. And he made them great. Now, this blessing didn't always mean circumstantial material things. I mean, they were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And they were wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. And there were, there were trials that they had to endure. But through that, God was blessing them. And we will see as Scripture unfolds that this blessing of God isn't just circumstantial. It's primarily spiritual. It's he's given us himself. And so regardless of the circumstances of our life, we have this identity, this gospel identity where we have a good father who cares for us, who desires to bless us and desires to bring us close. God makes this promise to Abram, I will bless you and you will bless others. Abraham is blessed in order to be a blessing to the world around him. We see this unfold again in Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, this, the nation of Israel is in exile. So they haven't obeyed God's commands. They haven't listened. And so as, as discipline, not punishment, God doesn't punish his kids. He disciplines his kids to teach them. We'll see that later on in Hebrews. So as a discipline among his kids, God has sent them into exile that they would learn more about him, that they would seek him. And here's what he says in Jeremiah chapter 29 to the people who are in exile. They are now out of their land. They are out of Jerusalem. They have been captured by a pagan nation, by Babylon. And pick it up in verse 4. Here's what God says to them as they're living in this pagan nation, surrounded by pagans. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not 
decrease. So they're in this foreign land. They're away from their home country. It's like us all being sent to a different country without homes. All of a sudden, we're all there, and we're trying to figure out what to do. And God is saying, put down roots. In that pagan nation, in that country, put down roots, multiply, do not decrease, and then pick it up in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. God has dispersed his people so that they would be a blessing to a pagan nation. The history of blessing, God blesses his people and then he disciplines his people and he disperses his people and even in that he's saying, I'm blessing you in certain ways and it may not look Circumstantially, it may not look like you're being blessed, but you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And I have sent you into Babylon to be a blessing to those people, to seek the welfare of that pagan city. And so, what about us? We may feel like we are sojourners or exiles. We may feel like we are in exile with people who don't believe the way that we believe, people who don't think the way that we think, people who think that our belief in Jesus is old and outdated. And God isn't saying to condemn them. He's saying, seek their welfare. Seek their good. Seek to bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. Now let's bring it over into Matthew chapter 5. And this is a brief overview of the history of blessing, but it'll give us kind of the snapshots. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches us about what it means to be blessed and to be a blessing. This is the Sermon on the Mount, starting in chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, circumstances may not always be ideal. To be blessed by God doesn't mean that everything around us is going well that we have more things, that we have more stuff, that we look like this picture of success. What it means is that we've inherited the earth. We've inherited the kingdom of God. We are a people of peace. We are a people of purity. The history of blessing is that God blesses his people spiritually. We have this internal transformation, this peace that surpasses understanding. And in that, we are a witness to the world. Because God has transformed us internally, because we have a peace that surpasses understanding, we can go out into the world seeking to bless our neighbors, seeking to bless our relational spheres of influence, not calling out to condemnation, but saying, how how can I serve you? How can I bless you? 
Jesus goes on in verse 13. He says, you, you, you who believe in me, you, my disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underneath people's feet. So we, we have to have this salty edge, this preserving speech of the gospel, these good works that preserve who Jesus is. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that they may see your good works. You are out as a people who have been blessed by God spiritually. You are now out in the world doing good for others. God has blessed us to be a blessing. So if that's the history of blessing, what's the purpose of God blessing? It's, he has blessed us so that we could be a blessing to others in the name of Jesus. As Jesus himself says here, let your light shine before others. And this isn't in a proud way, like look at all the good that I'm doing. He's saying practically if you are doing good, people will experience the good from it, Right? If you are out doing good, people will see that they are valued. They will see that they've been created in the image of God. As we give people dignity and honor and worth, and as we seek justice in the world, as we seek the welfare of our city, people will see the good. And some may condemn us. Some may push us away, as it says in verse 11 and 12 that you may be persecuted because some people don't want to be treated well and with honor and respect. Some people have been so broken, they recoil against that. But Jesus here is saying, you have been blessed. Blessed, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful. Those are the people who are blessed. And why are we blessed? In order to be a blessing to others. That's the history of blessing. A quick overview. We could spend days looking at scripture about God's blessing. That's an accurate purpose of blessing. And now I want to just close out this morning by talking about a strategy for blessing. We want to give you a tool so that you can feel competent so that you can have a competency in your spheres of influence to bless others, to be a neighbor and witness of Jesus Christ. The strategy or the tool is an acronym called BLESS. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and then story. And we have a quick little video to kind of explain where this came from. It came from a church in Chicago from a pastor named Dave Ferguson who created this to help his church have a tool to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we'll watch this short video, and then we'll wrap up. If we had more time, we could go through the Gospels and look at Jesus doing every one of those. So if we think about the BLESS acronym, Jesus was often pulling away from crowds of people to pray. In fact, in the Gospels, we see before he selected his 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, he spent time in prayer. Because he was dependent on God to reveal to him who he should go to, what he should say, how he should live among people. He listened. Jot down um, John chapter 4. He interacts with the woman at the well and, and he listens. He, he hears her heart. He knows where she's at. 
He eats. I mean, he was accused by the religious people for eating with sinners and tax collectors. Why was he accused for doing that? Because he was doing that. He spent time with people, enjoying a meal, getting to know them, and then he served. He saw their needs. He saw their brokenness, and he served them, and he taught his disciples to do the same. And then story. That's where we bring Jesus into the conversation. We say, this is because of who Jesus is. I'm not just naturally a a person who's going to go out of my way to serve others, but you serve and then you proclaim the gospel. Jot down Luke chapter 10. We won't look at it this morning, but the parable of of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 36, I believe. And Jesus tells this story about the Good Samaritan who went out of his way to serve and to bless somebody. And he says, who was the neighbor to this person? And the point of that story is that the person who went out of their way to serve and to meet their need is the true neighbor to that person. So if we have been called, if we have been made, if our identity is as neighbors and witnesses, that means we need to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's go about it by blessing others. I encourage you to use this tool. And as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, um, We're like salt, and if it loses its saltiness, what good is it? We are like a lamp put on a a hill, not to be hidden, so that our good works would be seen by others, experienced by others, that they would give praise to God. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He says, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Remember, so oftentimes we try, and, we try and do this kind of evangelism strategy stuff thinking that it will make more God more pleased with us. We do it out of guilt. We do it out of condemnation. We do it out of, well, in order to be a good disciple, I'm supposed to go to talk, talk to somebody about Jesus. Remember this. God doesn't need your good works. He's not pleased with you by what you do. He's pleased with you because of Jesus in you, the hope of glory. But there's a world that's in desperate need around us. And so we go out as neighbors and witnesses to bless them. Let's just remember the gospel here. Because this is what we're all about, right? This is is more of a teaching morning. I like preaching. I like proclaiming the gospel more than I like giving you a tool and a strategy for for putting this into action. But I, I do feel like this is a good time of year to just pause and say, what does it look like for us to be neighbors and witnesses? Use the BLESS tool. As we respond to the gospel with communion. There's bookmarks with the BLESS acronym at all three communion stations. Grab a few of those. Write down names of people in your RSI, your relational sphere of influence that you can bless. But as we do that, as we come to receive communion, let's remember the gospel. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbors do. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is of the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We don't do our good works for God. We do our good works from God for others because they're in desperate need of seeing the hope of glory. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're just going to respond now to the gospel with with singing, with visiting the communion stations. If you believe in Jesus Christ, these stations are here for you as a reminder that Jesus has redeemed you, that 
for by grace you have been saved through faith. And so come and receive the elements as you sing, as you consider who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Grab a bookmark and use that to bless others. Use that as a reminder for you to bless others this week. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done on our behalf. For by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not of our own doing, it's your gift. Not a result of our works. So we receive you now with empty hands. May you nourish our souls as we remember Jesus the Christ. And then may you empower us to go out as neighbors and witnesses who are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen.